Hi folks, you're about to listen to the spin-off Doctors, a fantastic podcast that we did. Uh, it's about Postal. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we're going to be shameless and self-promote and do sort of a bit advertising, but it won't take up much of your time, will it, Conrad? No, we're, we're going to make it quick. We're going to make it quicker than we made this episode. <laughs> Which is not saying much at all. But uh, what are we here to talk about today? Well, I wanted to mention that um, I have a Kickstarter going on right now for a video game, which you know kind of relates to the topic of what we do here. Um, but it's it's a Kickstarter right now for a game called Plague Road. It's a roguelike game with third person com or not third person, sorry, turn based combat. Can't talk today. Yeah, you're gonna edit I mean, that. I'm no, I'm not. Carry on. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, but yeah, so it's a it's a turn-based strategy game with roguelike elements that you can find on Kickstarter right now. You can go to PlagueRoad.com and check it out. And in a shameless act of uh, nepotism, uh, Jim Sterling will be providing the voice of the narrator in it. And it's actually quite the incestuous little project. Um, Lots of people that we've met over the years working together on it. Uh, But it's a really cool little game. It's got a really distinct and vibrant art style. And if you check it out... um, We'd really appreciate it, and and if you gave us money for it, we'd, we'd appreciate that even yeah. more. If it gets Kickstarter funded, I get another job that I can put on my resume of voice acting I've done. So I'm on board with it, and There's I played that. it, and I quite like it as well. So, oh god, now I'm getting all s- stuffed up. I'm not editing oh. myself, so what's good for the goose is good for the gander. But uh, <laughs> have a gander at Plague Road on Kickstarter. And, and maybe give it some money if you want to do it. Thanks. Bye. Bye doesn't work because I'm just going to talk again in a second after they hear the music. You want the truth? You can't movie boys the truth. Yeah, all right. I mean, sure. No relationship whatsoever to what we're doing here. No, no. Also, you can't handle the movie boys would have made more sense. Yeah, that's why it's funny. Because oh, okay. I, because oh, right. I said because, you can't movie. Because you had boys. it all laid up, and then you missed the shot. Yes, got yes. it. Yes, yes. It's 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 non-humor. What I'm sorry. Doing. Yeah. Oh, you know, I should have recognized it from all the non-humor in the last film. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, pixels. Um, we we won't expend more energy than we have to so no, we, well we, we already apologize did that. <laughs> yeah um it was three hours and 40 minutes and most people enjoyed it but but we were talking about it actually just before we started recording that uh the major complaint was it was a bit long and, and i cannot disagree i do not have i yeah. you, are, you are correct if that was your assessment of that episode yeah. you're right it was I mean, entirely I, too long I knew it was too long as we were doing it. Right. But um, I, I couldn't stop us from carrying on. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that will happened. not happen again. No, we will not allow that to ever happen again until we do Pixels again next Thanksgiving. Right. That'll just be our annual tradition. Yes. It's yes. finding new ways to hate <laughs> Pixels every year. For three hours ago. <laughs> Uh, no, right. that won't happen again. It won't happen again, and hopefully we won't... Well, 
we definitely won't run too long this time because I've no. got sh- so much shit to do. It's ridiculous. And this is not um, there's there's not as much to completely lose our shit about with this movie. No. Oddly, oddly enough, uh, for as offensive as it is, and it, there's definitely. It's quite it's a deliberately of, offensive yeah. at many, many points. There's to, a lot of shocking degree, stuff in there. I would say there is almost nobody on this planet who could watch this and not find something to take offense at. Yes. It yes. is equal opportunity in that respect. I would I would say so. They do they, they do go out of their way to be just as as uh, as distressing as possible. Um, so, so it's got that going for it. No, it uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's an equal measure to all people. No, but I think no. I think everybody can be offended by it. Yeah, I think it's something we can all join hands in and, and enjoy together as a community in these divisive times. Is we can all watch Postal and get upset about something. Uh, so Postal is the movie we're doing this week, and I, it's the second time I've ever watched it. I've not what, seen it. You've not, you've not seen it, and as I was watching it, I was I was trying to imagine your reactions to the things that were happening in it, because I tell you that like like my my main response to Postal is laughing at after scenes have ended, not so much at the jokes, although there are jokes that that quite there are a, a surprising number of jokes that work. It's it wasn't the jokes that were making me laugh; it was. A response, like a knee-jerk response, I had to what I just watched. It was, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a reaction to uh, either the fact that they went there at all, or the discomfort you experience as a result of them having gone there. Yes, yes, yes. I was like the things that happen in this film, and and I'm watching it a second time didn't reduce the impact, especially because I'd forgotten some of the the content that's in there. Um, yeah, like like. It was just disbelieving laughter because mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, there have been more shocking films than this. Well, uh, you know, a Serbian film is one of the most famous. I would argue the human centipede is more shocking and outrageous than this in terms of uh, subject matter, if not, um, you know, offensive jokes. But concepts and images in this film defy belief. And. Yeah. And and my response is to laugh at them, and I'm not sure how much of that is amusement and how much of that is shock, but it is. It's quite a film. It's it's an experience, and, and not an altogether terrible one. It's it's not. And and there is what's so strange about this particular movie is that like it demonstrates a competence that you know you just didn't ex- you didn't expect of Bull. Yes. At yes. all? Well, uh, here's the thing about Bull. Um, aside from the fact that he is, uh, you know, a, a, a racist weirdo uh, in real life, which which kind of makes some of the content of the film a bit less funny, um, he is way better than he... Puts guess, forth? Puts forth, allows himself to be, bothers to be. I think a lot of, of the slapdash nature of, of the bulk of his work is laziness more than a lack of talent. Well, the and, guy and knows I, film. He yes, loves that's the film. thing. 
we've discussed this, I think, at length before in prior Bull films, is that it's clear that the man loves film, and I don't think that there's any clearer example of his love for film that I've seen than Postal. Yes. It is, uh, it takes an approach to its storytelling and filmmaking that, you know, uh, evokes films like Kentucky Fried Movie. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's a series of connected sketches with these characters that, you know, are kind of interchangeable, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but it it, works. It actually does come together and work and it feels It's not, it's not disjointed like, like, you know, comparable films could be accused of being. Right. Um, It's coherent. It jumps around a lot, but it's not confusing because a lot of the stuff is either you can either dismiss it entirely or it actually does add to the characters which is even weirder yeah like there are better characters in this than a lot of the movies we watch that's true and and a lot of uh rock solid performances as well great Um, great cast yeah like i i've i've mentioned before because he was in um uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse. I've mentioned before, I'm something of a fan of Zach Ward, who mm-hmm. plays Postal Dude in this, um, and actually looks stunningly like Postal Dude. Um, I've been a fan of his mostly because of the his appearances in in Uber Bowl films. Uh, like his most famous role is still when he was a child, being the main antagonist in A Christmas Story, but it's it's his work in Uber Bowl movies because we, we're gonna see Zach Ward again. I, I think more than once uh, because uh, he, probably, he, yeah. he turns up. He gets up, around. Yes. I know for a fact he's in the next Blood Rain. I know for a fact uh, because I've seen that one. Um, but I like him because he is like, he's Billy Zane without Billy Zane's fame. Not that Billy Zane has a ton of fame, but he puts the effort in yes. no matter what it is. And he's He's fucking good. He's a good actor. He just... I, I don't know whether it's just a lack of the right look, um, because he is he's distinctive looking, uh, and, and maybe that's not gotten him roles, but he always puts forth what I feel is a good effort, and his comedic timing in this is, is really good, and even takes lines that I wouldn't find funny in other films. I found amusing in Postal because of his delivery. Yeah. I... 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 I just realized he played the little brother on Titus. I don't know if I've remembered that before and forgotten it since, but that was a fun show. He's, he's he's for someone who you wouldn't immediately recognize. He's pretty damn prolific. Like he's recognizable, like, but in that, where have I seen that dude before kind of way, which is never how you get to be a big success as an actor. It's like that guy who played the, the, in, in the beginning of Ghostbusters 2, he's, like, in the mayor's office. I, I don't think he's the mayor, but he's, like, you know, he hates the Ghostbusters. And that's mm-hmm. always his role in films, is he's the weird-looking dude who is against the um, protagonist. The protagonist, yeah. Um, he he did have a role. I think he's, he played the Archangel Gabriel in, um, what's that? That Super, no, not Supernatural. No, no, it was called Supernatural. Yeah, yeah, Supernatural. I think he played the Archangel Gabriel in that, which is, like, his most prominent role in a long 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 ass time um but he always had that role of i can't remember the dude's name but people know who i'm talking about but yeah that's kind of zach ward it's that you know the face and you've seen him in bits but you can't really put him down as as someone 
who, someone with any name recognition, um, unless you're me, because I, as I said, I, I quite I'm quite fond of his performances, um, and his commitment. You know, again, like like he Billy Zane's it. No matter what the role is, no matter how shit the film is, no matter how many times Uwe Ball phones him up and he's all, I've got another film for you, it's it's going to be quite offensive and upsetting, he will still put the, you know, the time in and the effort mm-hmm. required to... His presence in a film, no matter how shit, makes at least the scenes his inwatchable, which is hard to do considering some of the shit he's been in. Yeah, exactly. Um... So, yeah, I guess... It's better than the games, this film. You know, and I don't have a whole... I don't have a real strong memory of the games. I I, I, I was familiar with it um, when it first came out. I, I, I know I played the first one, and I just sort of... I mean, Postal was much like Hatred, uh, which would later follow in its footsteps. Um, Postal was, at the time of its release in 1999, a reaction to a sense of political correctness um, in the arts and particularly surrounding the censorship of games because, you know, the Mortal Kombat stuff was still a very fresh wound. Um, Jack Thompson was still running around doing his thing. And so uh, Postal, which was created by Running With Scissors, was was very much a response to that kind of uh, prevailing wind. And it shows when when you do play them because that that is their mission statement above making a good game yes let's let's break all the rules Uh, which they still even though they they're still around they don't really do anything no yeah they've been around for a long time and all they they seem to do now is still break the rules while doing nothing is still (laughs) oh is that a rule i'm gonna break it sorry I think there might be a third postal in the works. Oh, but, I mean, no, no, it's out. It came out it? a long time ago with no promotion whatsoever. Oh, my God. Because I remember the second one, they were making a big deal out of it. Yeah. The second um, one is the only one I've played. And that, I think, came out in, I want to say, 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, you know, a good six years between releases, which for these games, there's no excuse for yeah. that. 2011. Came out December 21st, 2011, Postal 3. Um, Mixed response on Steam. Shocking. Uh, It was... Yeah, I had my eye on Postal 3 because I wanted to play it. And then I found out months later it had been out four months. (laughs) But but Postal 2, they had some... some, They had a big push and uh, they had uh, Gary Coleman cast in a major role in that. And so... I remember. I was, at, I was at E3 that year. It was the, f- the first time I'd gone to E3, and I wasn't uh, working in press yet. I just happened to be there because uh, I worked in retail, and you could do that back then um, pretty easily. And so I was there, and I met Gary Coleman at E3. He was just hanging out at the postal display. And, like, they had booth space, which is just unfathomable to me. <laughs> It wasn't even, like, hidden anywhere. They had booth space on the mm-hmm. floor. I don't understand. But Gary Coleman was there, and he was, you know, polite and, and, and you know, uh, uh, courteous about my acknowledging the fact that he was Gary Coleman. And, you know, shook hands, and he had very rough hands. I remember that. 
He's got the hands of a tradesman. Yeah, he did. He did. No, but no, he was a nice guy, and, and you know, and but the the games just never seemed like they were anything more than at base a an excuse to be gross or do whatever in the name of fighting political correctness, and that's fine. I, I like mean, I don't I don't object to that. Yeah, as far as mission statements go, it's uh, at least these days especially trite. It is. Um, I, think I mean, I don't want to play Hatred's that game. Hatred's problem was it was just so, so rote to be all, oh, right. we're going to be edgy. And that's how old Postal 3 is now, that they've got edgy um, as one of their key features, their edgy satirical sense of humor. Um, so this predates edgy being a pejorative. Uh, and Uwe Boll was apparently in Postal 3. Oh, was he? On their list of features, kill Uwe Boll in in parentheses or save him so that's something wow Um, apparently postal 3 was considered something of a uh an insult to the series which should tell you volumes about how bad it is because the second one i mean i know it's got its fans and i'm sure there are people who are fond of it listening uh but it it's bad it like like, not just from the the content which you know it's I find it as tiresome as I did hatred. It's just, oh, ha-ha, terrorists, ha-ha, you know, we're going to say something offensive. I just find that stuff boring uh, in general. Uh, but gameplay-wise, it's the it's the pits. No, the original Postal, I, I don't remember there being a whole lot of story. I, I just seem to be, here's another place that the Postal dude goes, now kill everyone. Like, that's... Yeah. And and maybe there was more to it than that. I and I simply don't remember. I, think I do it's... know that there was like a plot to Postal Two and like yeah, there was. Yeah, they went to some effort there, and maybe that hurts it because you know I, Postal just sort of seemed to me as a uh, hyper violent and competent, but that's really the best you could say about it. Game and maybe trying to elevate it hurts it i don't know i don't know well i mean that said postal 2 is i think the source of most of that series fame Mm. um that's the one i see most people talking about i don't see too many people bringing up the first one too much um and, and the movie especially seems to take a lot of its cues from the second one so yeah that's that's the wikipedia seems to yeah indicate that so i don't know whether it I don't think it hurt it for its fan base. Yeah. Uh, clearly they... Oh, no, uh, no. Postal 2 is, is their... They're aliens of the series. Um, but, yeah, it's... And, it's not, not, and a, not having played it, I have no idea. Like, it's... I, right. Yeah, it's not... it's just... It's it's certainly hard to play now. Like I would imagine. Like going... I mean, at the time... At the time of, of, of it coming out, it was not cutting edge, but it was in good shape, as I remember. It looked okay. I can't imagine looking at it now. Yeah, I played it, uh, I want to say, around about 2011, I think. Just imagine uh, muddy textures and... It was it was hideous and, and hard to play just because it was just so clunky and dated. Um, but, yeah, not, not, not fond of, of Postal, at least, you know, what I've played of it. Uh, but the movie, again, just oddly There's something watchable. about it. I feel personally it drops off halfway through, but the first half is memorable. 
Yeah. And yeah. should we so, talk Yeah, let's about just it? do it. Yeah, yeah, let's let's talk about uh by the way, no facts this week, which may be a huge relief to some of you. Um it's not on Amazon video. So I didn't watch it via there, so I had no Amazon X ray. So we're gonna get a a, a a nice straightforward rundown of all the fun things that happen in postal. Uh let's get on with that now. The film opens with two Al-Qaeda terrorists in the cockpit Hey, of a- everyone! It's me, Adam Sandler! Oh, I, I was God, just- what's Adam Sandler still doing there? Nothing. I was just trying to scare our loyal, beloved listeners. I just, I just sort of thought, like, he wouldn't leave now, and he's been there for I mean, that's true. Weeks. That's true. I mean, I, I that was him. I, I grabbed him by the collar and just sort of brought him near the microphone and he instinctively ran his fucking mouth um but i've, I've pushed him away now uh, that was just to upset people <laughs> oh okay well good so the film opens with these two al-qaeda terrorists in the cockpit of an airplane celebrating their impending appointment with allah when they realize that they've been told two different numbers of virgins they're to receive for all of eternity they're concerned that they may wind up with an insufficient number of virgins to last for eternity they call osama bin laden to confirm the number and they learn that due to the number of martyrs, they're running out of virgins, and they're only going to get three. And despite successfully negotiating up to 20, the terrorists decide to abandon their attack and fly to the Bahamas. Just then, the passengers break into the cockpit and struggle with the terrorists, causing the plane to crash into the World Trade Center. I That's now, how the movie opens. What did you I, think of that scene? I knew that the film opened with a 9-11 joke. Like, I, I had heard that. Mm-hmm. Like, that was just... actually, it was quite famous at the time. I remember right. I was working at Destructoid at the time it came out, and it was a big story. It was on, uh, it made headlines in several places because they released, I think they released the full scene ahead of the movie's release. Mm. Uh, so everyone could see how clever and satirical and witty it was. Um, if you're I... going to make a joke about 9-11. Yeah. This is the joke to make about 9-11. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, not, that's a know, fair I, argument, I'm actually. not advocating for the making of jokes about 9-11, although I don't, I'm not, I'm not opposed to them. I am very much one of those people who, who thinks that in the right context with the right audience, anything potentially could be funny. It's just a question of whether or not you want to be the asshole telling that joke. So, um, I don't fundamentally have a problem with people making jokes about anything. I see what you mean. Like, of all the jokes about 9-11 to make, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... It it had a a cleverness to it, I want to say. Yes. It's not clever, clever, but it it has the right target, for one thing. Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's having a pop uh, primarily, uh, obviously... Al Qaeda and their beliefs, and, and yeah, and 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 that sort of radical um, zealotry. Yeah, and the joke is obviously the framing of nine eleven enhances theoretically the humor for because of the shock value of that. I can't believe they went there, but the actual joke is these extremists quibbling over you know the minutia of the details of of what they've been promised when obviously the the re- uh, uh, the real uh, extremists would be a lot less questioning, and yes. and, and so there's that's the joke. Um, I don't want to go too far into what we did with pixels and explain every joke. No, no, um, no. Mostly because not. these ones, unlike pixels, do 
often speak for them. This movie is way funnier than Pixels. Oh my god. That's I, that's the understatement yeah. of the year. Going from Pixels to this is like going f- from fucking, I don't know, Trevor Simon done... to... We've done this movie so such a huge favor, such a tremendous favor, <laughs> by watching it immediately after Pixels. We did hedge all the bets in in its favor. Yeah. Yes. I'm also really sorry I compared Trevor Simon to uh, uh, Pixels. Trevor Simon also are way funnier than I was trying to think of like children's comedians, and then suddenly remembered Trevor Simon, who were children's comedians in the eighties and nineties. But they are way funnier than Pixels as well. Well, I mean, it's like it's like um, Postal's Carrot Top, right? But Pixels is Bill Cosby. <laughs> are you gonna laugh at Bill Cosby? No. Yeah. No. No. No, you're not. So, cut to a trailer park in Paradise, Arizona, where yep. we meet the postal dude, and uh, I'm just st- just. Calling him the postal dude now. He does not get a name at this point. They don't even start calling him the postal dude until like halfway through the fucking movie. Um, but Zach Ward, getting dressed for an interview in a uh, thin black tie and a white shirt. And we see through photos he's been married for 10 years. And maybe it's not turned out the way that he expected. Um, now here we get into fat shaming jokes. Uh, so, you know, we get, to, we get to do that. And he has this just enormous wife. And haha, that's funny. Um, yeah, that is the sum total. It, it's they make several, not just fat jokes, but jokes of this level, and they're all very unfunny. Um, which is a shame because it contrasts against the actual clever stuff. Because there is clever stuff in this film. Yeah, uh, but they, the, the, but the fat wife with they go you know... from the bottom of the barrel to the midway point of the barrel. Uh, and leave no ground uncovered in between <laughs> those two states. Right. That's basically what I was trying to say about that, is they they start low as fuck, uh, but we'll hit every every inch of that climb to the middle. Yeah. So he's, he's watching the news, and uh, through that we learn that border guards have anti-immigrant turret guns in this America, uh, Massachusetts has expanded marriage to include men with dogs and women with a Polish sausage in a long weekend. I love that joke. Um, and the hottest toy this holiday is called the crotchy doll. Um, dude's wife calls him a loser and suggests he suck up to his uncle Dave, while dude kind of helps her case about the loser thing by just drinking some spoiled milk out of the carton. Um, heading outside... Dude steps in a pile of dog dog crap, and while chastising the dog what did it, one of his neighbors approaches, threatens to report him for the errant feces in violation of the trailer park's rules, and saying that he'll add it to a list of infractions, which includes Dude and his wife having loud sex the prior afternoon. And uh, Dude points out that he wasn't home the prior afternoon, thinking he's proving a point. Um, That's... that's fun. It's a good... it's a good joke. Honestly, it's a good joke. It's, it's, good it's well, 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 it's structured well enough and, and it's delivered and well. Delivered with comic timing that works. Uh, Just the, Zach, you know, Zach him Ward the has the and... sort of, um, he has idiot face. He can, yes. he can just do that. Yeah, it makes his realization after he says it, like, work. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's funny joke. Very good. Quite pleased. Um, <laughs> Put it on the fridge. <laughs> that's right. Uh 
So, um, outside of Habib's Lucky Ganesh, which is a convenience store somewhere in paradise, politician Eugene Wells, played by J.K. Simmons. Now, again, now, what I did like you to think point- of that, Conrad? I-, I would like to point out that I did not look into the movie at all before I watched it. Oh, oh, I, I can't wait. I, I really want to know your reactions to... To future each, people we get to meet? Each appearance in this film. Yeah, um, because so, there, I, I, I was continually surprised by the people who appeared in it. Yeah, I've again, I've this is the second time I've seen this, and I was surprised all over again mm-hmm. by the people that are in this. And so and, it's J.K. Yeah. Simmons... Um, and he, Eugene Wells is this uh, political candidate running for mayor um, with a, a new party, the Fuck You Party. And it's the, these he has these just bizarre conspiracies. Like, no, and, and you look at the, the conspiracy theory jokes that they had in Pixels. You know, JFK shot first. Um, or the... Uh, what, what was the... This close to figuring out the secret of the Bermuda Triangle. It's all very sort of bland It was really, yeah, yeah. Dumb. Like, bargain basement, what to conspiracy. It, it, it wasn't even so much jokes as it was, like, they just took actual conspiracy theories and alluded to them vaguely. Right. Whereas, like, oh, the CIA can watch me. Like, okay, that's what's funny about that. Here, they, they, they do take them to a illogical extreme that does make them very, very funny, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The idea of a of the largest child pornography ring in the United States operating out of a room in the basement of the Pentagon cracks me up. Because I believe that that's possible on some level. But it also is still, you know... It's so ridiculous. to yell in the street. Uh, yeah. Especially when you're J.K. Simmons. Yes. Which is also what makes it work as well, because it, like it's J.K. Simmons spouting this gibberish. They get they get one of maybe the ten best people in the world at ranting to do it. Yes, um, and... which again just explains why this this film's we, we're going to end up just making this about pixels again, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I I shouldn't have followed up with a comedy because honestly. I, I can't stress enough how better this film is than <laughs> Pixels. And this film isn't good. No. It's, it's just got actual jokes in it, unlike Pixels. Like, I think that this is above mediocre. I, I think so, too. It's it's entertaining shit. Yes. Like, it's it's shit, but it is entertaining shit. But anyway, right, so yeah, J.K. So... Simmons, uh, what... What was your immediate reaction when you saw J.K. Simmons appear on the what screen? Was, what the fuck is J.K. Simmons doing here? <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why is... I mean, but the thing is, is that he's also a guy who will just do work. Yeah. And, and you know that about him. So it wasn't, it wasn't totally shocking. And that's the other thing. Like, everybody in here, of those people that I think how the fuck did Uwe Boll get them? It's other directors I I would not have a problem believing. Just about anyone else. It's just that bullshit is so bad. Yes. That I would like to think that these people that I like would have a little more dignity. And it was, it's, it's... They are the kind of performers who would be in a film like this. Right. They're of that, 
of that strata in the great, you know, hierarchy of performers. But, like you say, Uber Bowl's a whole different ball game. And it's a movie about a game that isn't even that well known. No. And so it's full this of, odd storm. Full of, of things that, that just, you know, why would you want that associated with you with your career for all time? Or, or I can see people having that thought. Yeah, so it is. It's doubly weird because A, it's weird that they're there. But also, B, it's weird that it makes sense that they would be there, but it doesn't make sense that they would be there for other weird reasons. Yes. Yes. It's a complex film. It's very <laughs> challenging. Um, so Eugene Wells assembles this crowd of people and laments the sorry state of the nation where one in ten people works for the CIA. It's another one of them. That's good. Uh, and he announces the establishment of the Fuck You Party. Uh, now, inside... Uh, the owner of Habib's Lucky Ganesh is meeting with Taliban members that are hiding in the back of his shop, um, who he seems pretty nervous about them even being there at all, but is accommodating them. Um, and they tell him that the shipment, which is, I guess, supposed to instill us with a sense of dread, is going to arrive in three days and set them on an attack. Um, at the offices of Glutco, which is a, I guess, some major corporation stand-in, uh, dude arrives for his job interview. Can I just where... say, I thought everything in this scene worked. I agree. Everything about this scene is genuinely decent comedy. I love, love, love the actor who is playing the executive. Yes, um, he's another guy whose face I know. But yes, his I name's Rick Hoffman. Him. Okay, there we go. Um, he's been in. Um, he's been. He was in one of the crappy Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, in a, in a small role early on, uh, but he was in Hostile Part Hostile and Hostile Part Two. Um, as, oh, as that's a... where I recognized him from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hostile. Yeah, uh, you I may didn't also. Know he was in Part Two. That's cool. It... I haven't seen Part Two yet. He, he's. It's just in a flashback. Oh, it's probably the same footage. Oh. Um, if you watch. Oh yeah, um, he... oh, yeah sorry. I'll if you watch Suits, on um, on USA, which I quite like, he's got a major role in that. He's fantastic. Um, I love him. Nobody plays a smarmy fucker mm. like Rick Hoffman does. It's well, just... he, he's got a, a real punchable face, and that's not about him as a person, because he leverages it so well in his roles, because he plays punchable guys. He, he is a guy with a shit-eating grin that looks like it just ate at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. Mm. Yeah. That's, and that's just the level of him. He's the, the interviewer here yes. for this scene, so, and yeah, he so does he's, it really well. He, he's the main... Well, he's, he's not even doing anything in the interview, which is what's so fucking amazing about it. All he really does is yell at and demean the dude Yeah. Well, while I, having the secretary ask the questions. I think the thing that, that I like... That I, my, my second favorite part of this scene is... Like, it starts with the, the dude in a chair... Well, and he, the, well, he comes what, into the room, and first you see this along the wall. There's this series of like five severed heads on spikes, and the executives like, "I see you looking at the heads. Yeah, those are the heads of all the people I had to take down to get to my position. You know, it's a good reminder. It's motivating, <laughs> and it's like, and then he's like, "Oh no, it's just a joke. It's paper mache." And then you get the close up, and there's just a drop of blood moving down one of the spikes. Good joke. Well, I mean, not h hilarious, haha no, joke. But it's 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 a well structured gag with a setup and payoff. 
mm-hmm. pixels. And then, and yes, and then there's this chair bit, which is a great bit of physical comedy. Yes. Um, yes. The, the chair, like, like the, the Postal Dude is, is trying to sit in this office chair that keeps, like... It has one broken leg. Yes. It's like, it has that five-point uh, star leg thing, but one of the legs is broken. So he keeps dipping and, and jerking in the chair as it keeps falling. And it's just <laughs> clearly not his fault, but just the way the interviewer then just says, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> that genuinely makes me laugh. It's so, well, but it's so, it's such a, uh, uh, I would think, I, I can imagine there being this guy, this interviewer, who deliberately sets this scene in some power move to make mm. their interview subject uncomfortable. So on the one level, you can sort of look at it as this ignorant fuck who's just so wrapped up in his own shit that he's not paying attention to the fact that it's not this guy's fault and blaming him. Or... Or oh, he's, he's deliberately he's, set this up. Yes, he's de- and he's this Machiavellian fuck. <laughs> There's yeah. no wrong way to, to play with that. And um, so I love that. it's good comedy. And again, Zach Ward is uh, doing Plays it well. Perfectly. Like his, his stupid face, as you say, like his, his idiot face, mm-hmm. works really well. Uh, so he's then uh, he's subjected to a series of standard totally subjective interview questions like what's your greatest strength or what's your greatest weakness and he's told after each answer that he's wrong eventually the the questions become impossible to answer um ending with what is the difference between a duck long silence and And that is my favorite part of the scene it's so good again it's it's actually funny and and he just snaps and and rails on this whole process and how he's just here to get a job and that's all he wants and the executive is impressed by this outburst you know and and i can that too that works that so works for my impression of this character of being impressed by this killer instinct that this you know interview subject has just because he got violently angry in the interview yeah and is unwilling to put up with this shit um says he's their leading candidate leads Dude to think he's got the job, but then reveals they have like 120 more candidates to interview. Yeah. Also a funny gag. Um, and and then they make him sing the company fight song, which is to the tune of Grand Old Flag, uh, with lyrics about how nobody's going to get a pension because it was sold off and they're all going to work till they die. Yeah. Standard. The whole sequence is delightful. But yeah, yeah. The, the, the whole... And if yeah, you like it's these a, jokes... It's a good scene. Listen to Fish Shark Marketing, www.fishshark.com. <laughs> so many similar goofs. At the compound of the cult called the Denomination of Organic Monotheism, or Doom for short, the cult leader known as Uncle Dave addresses a group of new inductees into the cult. Uncle Dave is played by Dave Foley of the Kids in the Hall. And again, another one of these, what the fuck, no, that makes sense moments. It's, it's what the fuck, no, that makes sense, no, wait, it's Uva Bowl, what the fuck. Yeah. That's the full thought process. Yeah, uh, but he's, and he's, he's also so great in this role. 
uh, playing these, this clear con artist who's running this cult, totally doesn't believe he sh any of this shit that he's created, uh, and is simply using it to uh, get stoned and have sex. Pretty much. That's, that's who this dude is. Um, and, and then later, that, that sort of becomes clear. Uh, pretty much immediately later, because Uncle Dave is seen passed out in a pile of mostly, mostly naked women whose breasts are exposed for our pleasure. Oh, of course. When Brother Richie enters the room and hurries the ladies out. So Dave gets up, and we are... Can I just say, <laughs> Uncle David's penis is exposed for our pleasure. Thank you. I, like, I, I knew that that was going to be said by one of us. Like, his wrinkly his wrinkly stamen <laughs> is just there in all its glory. There's a good blowjob joke uh, that they do here, too. Where as, as they're getting the women... Because the women are all just sort of draped around him, and they're all passed out. And one of them has her head on his crotch, and they do, you know, the sound effect. Yeah, they do a cartoon pop noise. Uh... Yeah, you know, as as she's removed from it, and it, you know, it wouldn't have been obvious that she was in that position necessarily. Um, a without the noise or the action of removing her from it, so it's yeah, it wouldn't have been funny without the comedy, like the the cartoon sound. Oh, that. certainly not, and well, probably wouldn't it would have, have been just observable. Been... Like you'd have missed it. Yeah, it, it needed that to draw attention to it, but that it it's just a little thing, and I don't know, I just. There's something so comical about the idea of falling of, of someone falling asleep with a penis in their mouth that I just find hilarious. And 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 um and actually it's not I'm, there's a Playboy You didn't claiming. find it that funny when I was in New York. Well, you know, it's a little different. You didn't see the funny side of it. No, but there's there, one of the one of the playmates, one of the like the the big big playmates that wound up having um, a, a horrifying later career, and and it's uh, she had the reality show. Mm, can't someone in the comments will remember it? I remember an interview that she gave at one point in some publication where she said that that's how she likes to fall asleep at night. And oh, I'm like, that's nice. Who is this? Like what? This person existed. That's they, so strange to they, me. They sell adult pacifiers. Well, no, I understand. That. I get, I get that. And no, I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's probably easier to just get one of those instead of finding a penis to fall asleep within the I, mouth. I would think. I would think. Because what if she grinds her teeth when she sleeps? Right. Like, yeah. If, if I don't want to take that risk. If you're a grinder. You're going to have to go find a new penis every night. Yes, because the, the old one's going to be shot. <laughs> That's going to be no good. That's going to be a write-off. If you're Don't... lucky, if you're lucky, you can find a stable of, say, seven penises that will allow <laughs> one to heal. <laughs> you just rotate. I mean, you've got to be really, really good at the blowjobs you give in first. Yeah, yeah. In uh, order yeah. to get those seven penises. Or, or just find seven people that are into it. That's true. The, you can do that. Take out a Craigslist ad. Like, you don't want to cause permanent damage, so you don't want to maybe yeah. do it every night. But if you write... Okay. 
I just suffice to say, if you grind your teeth, you're gonna find it more difficult to fall asleep with a cock in your mouth. Yeah, that's just yeah. a reality. That's that's bio truths. So Uncle Dave uh, takes a huge, apparently pungent shit and smokes a joint, while uh, his business partner slash fellow cult member Richie, who seems to sort of manage all the goings on day to day of this organization, um, explains that their their cult owes the IRS $1.3 million and 79 cents, or they're going to lose everything and Dave will be sent to prison. Now, as Dave ponders his predicament, he turns on the TV and he learns that crotchy dolls are going to be in high demand because a uh, the Chinese shipment crashed and only one case bound for paradise arizona at little germany which is a, a theme park which we'll get, <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> we'll get there yes. um and and so that's the only place these crotchy dolls are going to be uh and they're going to be in extremely high demand now go cut back to dude who gets accosted by a man in a tracksuit who wants him to give him money, assuming dude has some because of his interview attire. He's having a really bad day is what they're setting yeah, up. Yeah, they're setting up and he's having a really bad day. But they're also, uh, in in the process, they're introducing characters that will recur. And that's one of the, because we're about to see this here. This feels like it's coming totally out of left field, the scene that next next it next transitions to. It feels like an independent sketch that has no place with what's preceded it and uh so that's a little jarring but at the same time again it it it's that kind of kentucky fried movie approach that's really evidencing itself right now it's yeah. not just it's not merely sloppy filmmaking it's not random for the sake of random it's not and it's not doing it to try and force a whole bunch of characters on us and explain them in a lot of depth all at once and overwhelm us. It's doing it in a way that ultimately winds up being very organic in that it sort of introduces these characters. It gives you a little bit about them and you, they're not, they're all important in some way to the plot, but they're not important enough that we need to know their whole fucking lives. And, and they don't attempt to do that. They just give us the things that we need to kind of know about this character to go forward. And then, and this is the fucking amazing thing about it. Those characters then remain consistent throughout the entire film, not, uh, you know, and not in a, oh, it's a static character with no, you know, dynamic arc that they progress as a character or anything it's like just that. that. You get a very keen sense of every character's personality and they don't, they, they don't diverge from that personality to allow for a joke or the plot. Like, Ahem, pixels. Ahem, Pixels. It genuinely is like they sat down and wrote these characters. Yes. They know how they think and what they like. I'm not going to go so far as to you know act like they wrote a whole fucking Bible for everyone or everything. No, but they at least did enough effort to make each character distinct and consistent. Yes, I I am so bothered by how technically competent this is. Uva Bowl like co-wrote this with one other person as well. Like his writing is in this. And he's like he's a a weird weird man. He, he, yeah. He shouldn't be listened to ever in real life and he was somehow able to churn out a, a relatively competent comedy. 
uh, that had clever bits. So this this sort of thing that feels like a sketch. Um, yes. It involves a a racist cop. He's African American. His partner is this uh, German, and it's it's sort of intimated he's that he's oh is he French? He's French. Yes. Okay, he's a French immigrant, um, and and barely speaks throughout the movie, but is is derided for his poor English, which seems pretty good. Just you know, he fails to say glasses. He says glass and gets berated by it, and this this. African-American cop just goes on this sort of string of racist stereotypes about an Asian woman in the car ahead of them who's stopped at an intersection needlessly. Uh, She has the green light and could go through. And so he makes all of these Asian stereotypes about their driving, about uh, Korean people eating dog. Um, There's another one. in. Oh, they come over here and take all of our convenience store jobs, I think they said. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. I think it may have been like actually convenience stores, oh, that rather could than be. jobs. But it was something along those lines. Right, and I mean, and, you know, these are all like it's very like uninhibited racial stereotyping, and just a, a kind of out of left field. And then he get you know he 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 gets out of the car and he you know and expresses his car, some regret to his partner for having behaved that way and and is going to go and check on this woman if she needs help. And when she shouts in response to his insistence that she drive through the intersection, he empties his pump shotgun into her. Yes. Empties her like blasts the interior of that car apart. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you again, like, like the competence of this film is very subtly as he walks to the car, you hear the shotgun cock. Uh-huh. Very subtly. So it's not completely like, oh, suddenly he's got a, a fucking shotgun. They put the setup there if you were paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like for, for what essentially is just a cop murdering someone. But then, you know. He rather calmly walks back to the car yeah. and explains to his partner that he thought he heard him call, heard her call him the N-word. I hate yeah. saying that phrase. I hate that that phrase exists. But I'm not going to say the word. Hell, either. I ain't going to say the word. Because I, no, I have no reason to say the word. And there is not... But... At the same time, again, that is a well-structured joke with good timing. That's difficult to laugh at. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. Um, uh, and, and I'm not going to say any of the words you're saying myself. Right, no, I understand that. But and, I can't and... disagree with... I, this. Basically, you're listening to two like lefty white liberals talk about postal. <laughs> Right, yeah. And, and that's, dancing and when this, around it. But when this scene happened, I immediately, in the film, I immediately thought, oh shit, now I'm going to have to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, I thought to myself, ha Conrad's going to have to talk about this. Right, yeah. And, but it, and, and, on a, and on a technical level, I, I have to marvel at how perfectly executed it is. Because well, the, again, timing, it goes... 
The it timing goes, and yeah. delivery of that word and how quickly it cuts the away to the next nature. scene. Yeah. It just moves right past it. It doesn't it doesn't pause to let you laugh at it. Because it knows what it just did. And yeah, it, it wants knows you... it's got to run quickly through that joke. Yes, and it wants you it wants you to have the opportunity to think about something else as quickly as possible so you don't have to linger too long about the fact that you just thought that was funny. You and think they, they, they moved quickly on to assuage people's guilt? Yes. and, and But on top of that, the, the impact of it, it's like a Keystone Cops deal. It's like a... Whoop, 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 whoop. It's so quick. It is... It, it's... It's like, we know we did it, we know what we're doing now, and you know it too. Yeah. And, and and that's just, it's so brilliantly done. It goes back to what you said at the beginning about, you know, if you have to make a 9-11 joke. Yes. If you've got to make a joke like this, they did as well as anyone could be expected to do. And I'm, I am not going to be the sort of person that denies my own racism. I think a lot of people are racist. Uh, uh, most. Um, oh, yeah. everyone. I think everyone is racist. I mean, I also, racist. like, I and would hate to be the kind of guy to deny Conrad's racism. Exactly. And, and I think that in the, one of the things about racist comedy from the perspective of being a white guy who should not laugh at racist things is that unfortunately the joke is that these racist things exist in spite of everything we do to try and stop them. And that struggle, that constant struggle to fight something that while I believe is important to fight, we will never truly overcome entirely. That's funny. It's funny to me, human failings. It's funnier than anything that was in pixels. Yes. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to deny. I laughed at this joke. I laughed at this joke more because of the way in which they did it than the content itself, which is in a lot of ways repugnant. I, I found the bit with the the officer um, talking about the, the woman in the car, uh, you know, like uncomfortable. And I, and I won't deny and, and I was and, and, and that's its intent and that's its goal. And so in so many levels, and for so many uh, they've got to set him up as racist to in order to make that drive joke work. Yeah, because it it drives home the hypocrisy of, of the punchline. So it's um, all it's all necessary for this joke that you may or may not ever choose to tell. Yeah. But just like the nine eleven joke, as you point out, yeah, if the you're joke itself it, is not necessary to make. But in order to make it, these ingredients are necessary. <laughs> that's that's a lot of postal. No, and, very yeah. little that happens in postal, any human needed to make. So, but in order to make them, they had to break some really racist eggs. Yeah, and and so I wasn't laughing. I, I was not laughing at him being racist. You don't have to justify yourself to me. No, I know, but I and I, and I don't feel like I have to justify myself to the audience either. But I do feel like it. Like it, it's worth explaining 
that this joke actually works on enough levels that you can laugh at the stuff that works, I think, without finding the fact that it's racist funny. I think, again, as well, um, credit has to go to the performances because the officer... um, Is brilliant. He, throughout the film, his delivery... Like, he gets some of the the most offensive stuff throughout the film. Uh, And it is through sheer force of his own natural charisma that it gets away with a lot of it yeah and gives it more of a more of a cheeky vibe and less of a sinister one yes yeah this film could have become off this could have gone so wrong yeah it could have been so much more insidious i think this this is the this is like the best time timeline version of this joke yes i think if any it's it's it is a very very it's jenga 15 turns in like and and some dick has been pulling out all the pieces in the bottom mm-hmm. that's uh that's what this is and any 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 other movement on it probably could have ended in disaster so all right that's enough on this thing that i didn't want to talk about in the first place <laughs> uh the dude arrives at a coffee shop and is stuck behind an asshole who doesn't know what he wants um you know and that's and, and that, another great thing about this transition is it leads into something we all know is real on some level but don't want to think about to something that we can't stop thinking about because we're faced with it every fucking time we go to a coffee shop. That works. Yeah. Um, and well, this... also it works because the guy says that he, he returns his original order because it had vanilla in it. And the, the server is all like insisting that he ordered vanilla. And the initial joke seems to be that she is an asshole who yeah. is insisting the customer ordered vanilla so she doesn't have to replace it or make another coffee. And then as this guy turns out to be annoying in that he's hemming and hawing over what he wants, he then asks for vanilla. Yes. Yes. And well, then and, says no. And and, and, and I again, I didn't, a, I didn't take the read that she was trying to be difficult with him. Oh, you but, see, I thought the, the the joke, like it was like a, a false setup. Well, no, I, I think I she was it. pretty. Accom- I mean, and it was. You were right. She does, you know, go to him and say, you know, oh, but I, she's being accommodating. She's trying to give good customer service, and she's actually pretty friendly and and handles him. You know, when when he's hemming and hawing and having his problem, he, she gets him to sort of move to the side so she can deliver coffee orders that are ready for this next customer that's waiting. And, you know, or off to the side who's already ordered. And so, like, she's doing a great job, and she's being pretty patient with the guy. But then he does come back and, at one point, orders the very thing he claimed he didn't order and didn't want when he returned it. Um, And she does lose her shit. Now, also in this scene, uh, the people that she's giving the coffee to are um, members of the Taliban that were hiding out in the back of the convenience shop. Yeah, uh, now they these... do this um, at it, several points of the film. They set things up like this, where they're just casually there. Yes, well, they're they're they are again. This is another one. This is a, less obvious than setting up the cop in the last scene, but this is setting up these specific characters and to give them a little more depth and identity. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, we met Muhammad earlier uh in the scene with habib and muhammad talking about you know the the plan he's sort of leading this taliban group but um the other one who's with him is abdul and he is uh 
really plot central, I guess. Is he? I don't know. I don't really know if he's important to any of this. But they wanted to make a bunch of jokes at the expense of the mentally disabled. Yeah. So they put him, it goes, they're like, yeah, this is the one character in the film that I feel is there to check a box. Yeah, like, yeah. We, we didn't have any jokes about the mentally disabled. So let's make this Taliban character mentally disabled. Yeah. Um, I mean, he becomes, I, he has a, a crucial plot moment at the end. But yes. he didn't need to be mentally disabled for it to have happened. Right. He could have just been, you know, a token stupid character. Yes. But they, um, again, they, they had to, as you say, check that box. And, and you're right, because he is, I think out of all of the jokes, and this is one of those, again, like I, I mentioned that the, the wife is one of several jokes they make that's bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think this character is the worst of it, because it is the laziest. Yeah. Because there's no real inherent joke to it. He's not doing anything particularly... Like, it's the equivalent of a child making, you know, going herp-derp, basically. Like, that's the level of of effort that went into this character and and his central goof. And I feel like, I feel like that aspect of his character is, it's there for one joke, really, and one joke alone, like, in terms of its... in terms of its value, in terms of oh, there's there being a benefit to it. Um, but every other time he's on screen, they just take an opportunity to do something that that's not fu- necessarily funny. Yeah, it would have been it would have been funnier if he'd have played like a Nick Frost style, you know, bumbler. Right. Yeah, that would have been a lot. That would have been better. So I cannot believe I'm saying this. This is the one thing in the film. That really doesn't work. Fuck me. Ugh, anyway, uh, so they yes. they are they are picking up this this order. Abdul and Mohammed, um, and Abdul like licks the the tip jar because it has breasts. Oh yes, yes, I remember that bit. Yeah, like they they make sure to draw attention to that. And Mohammed is talking. The to breasts this... of that tip jar, by the way, are exposed. They to were pleasure. yes, um, some some fine. Some fine, finely sculpted breasts on a tip jar. Um, and a, a blonde woman is talking to Muhammad and flirting with him. Uh, and th- talking about how she's done some prior religions and thinking about converting to Islam because, you know, the men are so passionate. Uh, now, the asshole with the order continues to struggle until the barista snaps, yells at him, and just gives him a plain coffee. Now, the dude, a bit stunned and possibly impressed, uh, orders two lattes, no foam. And then takes them to Uncle Dave's cult compound. Um, his Uncle Dave's apparently the Uncle Dave who runs the cult. And they catch up establishing that they used to run con jobs together. And that this cult is Dave achieving a dream that they want shared. Now, Dave tries to get Dude to help him with his money situation. Um, but Dude refuses. Uh, pointing out that the last, chan- last time he went and did a a job with Dave. He lost a chance at college and a decent job because he got arrested. So, dude then moves on to the welfare office to collect his check. And a violent gunfight breaks out when one of the people in line, or one of the people at the counter 
uh, gets frustrated by an annoying person who won't help him. And as people are shooting, dude moves among them on the ground, uh, looking for among the corpses for a lowered numbered ticket so he can cut the line. Honestly, again, great joke. It's a good joke. It's it's a it's a good good joke. And uh, he finds one and has to bite the hand of the man uh, who's holding it, who happens to still be alive, and then heads to the window only to have it closed in his face. Uh, and all of the government employees go home. So he's you know still having a bad day. And I like th- this is um, probably the f- well. Th- I think this is the first time that everyone breaks out guns in this movie. That uh, they yeah yeah that they do the you know what America's fucked up and full of guns joke, and they're not wrong. Um, it's, yeah. Well, they they go out of their way as well. I think to establish that paradise is uh, a particularly awful place. Partic- yeah, like like the most. Like, like a microcosm of everything that's fucked up about America, like, condensed into a city. Yep. Uh, so, obviously, you know, taken to extremes and everything. But, but yeah, yeah, like, it's, it's treated fun. almost normal. Like, yeah. gunfights happen in this office all the time. And, and everybody in the room has a gun. Yes. Uh, and at one point, the guard or police officer who is there in, in a shootout and still alive... Um, he manages to they, he manages to grab the guy who starts the gunfight from behind, who is then you know and to prevent him from killing himself, and starts beating him to prevent him from killing himself, because that seems to be the greater crime over this mass shooting that he's just incited, and that's a funny joke, <laughs> uh, it, you know speaking to our priorities as a nation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and so there's some clever satire tucked away in there. Quite pleased. I, shocked again, but quite pleased. Um, dude goes home, discovers his trailer is violently rocking Have, with some lovemaking. Before we get there, because I do want to talk in particular about this scene coming up. Have we skipped the other surprise performer yet? Who serves no plot relevance, but is there as a as a kind of the, like those two dudes in the um, balcony in the Muppet Show? Are you talking about the neighbor? No. Basically, what was your reaction to Ernest Borgnine? <laughs> oh, uh, well, one, it wasn't Ernest Borgnine. That was my first reaction. Was that it's not Ernest Borgnine. Isn't it? No. No. Uh, I, I. It is a, and I'm trying to find his name. Um, God damn it. He, but he is a. Uh, no, he's he's a a well known older comedian. Um, that who he he's he's done, and, and and I think he is a comedic partner with that other guy. They have done oh, this bit before. I got the name wrong. Yeah. All right. For yeah. some reason, I've all because he's not particularly well known outside of the states. It's David Huddleston. There we go. Yeah. For some reason, I and he just he just died in August. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine is someone completely different. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Well, no, because I was um uh he was in something that that I love that I'm going to identify. I mean, he was in a lot of things that I love, but um. 
uh, he was in Always Sunny. He was in The West Wing. You know, he just did a ton, yeah. a ton oh, yeah, of yeah. TV over the years. Uh, but he was another one who, like, I when I first saw it, my, my head tilted because I'd seen him in so many other things. The Big Lebowski. He, he was the yes. Big Lebowski. Yes, he was. So there, yeah. Um, but he, so he's there. And, and yeah, they do introduce him. We did, we did skip that scene. I can't um, believe I said Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> but yes, and, and he's there to serve as as just sort of a dirty joke telling old man with his partner. Well, it's him, and and like the sum totals of the joke seem to be like let's let's look at these two old men reference come. Yeah, let's the, these two old men making some of the most outrageous um, sexual sexually lewd statements they can. The first one, the first time you meet them, and we did skip though skip over this is someone some woman walks by. And uh, David Huddleston comments that um, if she comes back, uh, she's he's going to make her look like she got hit with a mayonnaise truck. Yeah, I don't think it was like, because you made that sound like a sexual threat. I think it was like something along the lines of if, if, if she spent time with him or something or if he got her to right. his place or something. Like, he wasn't just saying, like, bring I'm going to yeah, come no, on her, her if she walks back. Place. Right, <laughs> but yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, yes, that's, that's the punchline is, you know. Yeah. It's truck, like truck old men, and they turn up several times in the film for no yeah, reason, they are, other than to talk about cum. They are the old men in the balcony from the Muppets to this movie. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that, you know what? Okay. Yeah. I think that's fine. I'm totally yeah, fine I just, with them being there. Like, because, it, is... because, again, it reinforces that sort of loose jumping around um, unconnected yet connected things that are in yeah. this movie. Well, I think it's it, it helps set up the idea that, like... Because there's this... I don't know if there's a word for it. I've talked about it before. I don't know on, if I've done it on this podcast. But um, there's a movie called Dead Alive. Oh, Brain or, Dead or in um, Brain Dead, if you yeah. live elsewhere in the world, sure. Dead Alive in America, Brain Dead Elsewhere. It's a New Zealand film, Samuel, um, not Samuel L. Jackson. I'm terrible with names today. Peter Jackson uh, directed it. It was, it was the movie that I looked at uh, when, or that I, I, I thought of immediately when it was announced that Peter Jackson was going to direct the Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that guy? That's yeah. the guy? Okay. He did a lot of... of splatter films and, mm-hmm. and shock films back in the day. Um, and what I like most about Brain Dead slash Dead Alive is it's ostensibly a comedy film and it's ostensibly a film about zombies. And the zombies are the least weird part of the film. Oh, God, yes. Because every supporting character, every resident of this town where where the movie's set is weirder than a zombie. Mm-hmm. The punks are weirder than the zombies. The kung fu priest weirder than the zombies. My personal favorite character, the Nazi veterinarian, is like by far the most bizarre thing to happen in the film. And I don't know if there's a method, like a technique or a name for this, but it's something I've noticed in other films and, and some games as well, um, where everyone's so eccentric that the one weird thing is the least weird thing in it. And I love that. Like, I love that concept Mm -hmm. of... um, Like an inversion of the bizarre. Yes. Uh, It's like, well, of course something weird would happen in this town because everyone is just, like, completely off kilter. Uh, And... Yeah, Ernest Borgnine. I'm just going to call him Ernest Borgnine. He, yeah, he reinforces that idea that everyone in Paradise is fucked. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and, and so, yeah, he's not, they, those two are not necessary, but they're actually, they're, it's world they're, building. It's, they're welcome. In two it. old men talking about cum, welcome world building. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So, uh, dude goes I home. Leave us that Ernest Borgnine. Discovers his trailer violently rocking with love makings. Yes. Steps inside to find his neighbor from before coming out of his bedroom. Yeah, and well, rummaging we, in his kitchen for. Before an, that, we do get shots of the sex, which we do. involves, and I can't describe enough like how gross this neighbor is. Like, well, his teeth are just brown. Yeah, stained. like well. Imagine the McPoyle twins from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but someone looked at them and thought, "Not." We can make that enough. look real. <laughs> he, real, yes. Like he is just drenched in sweat with the awful teeth, like naked, stringy body. Like it's it's horrific. And he comes out of the bedroom and into the kitchen, <coughs> and this. This was the moment of greatest existential dread for me in this movie. Because when he came out of the kitchen, I immediately knew what the joke was. I instantly knew. And right. this this was another moment where I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to talk about this. But we're not talking about this nearly as long because it doesn't deserve it. No. Um, but he he's rummaging around in dude's kitchen for a bag of flour. For use in the ongoing sexual encounter. Yeah. With his very fat wife. And I'm not going to say the punchline. Because it's, it's really not funny. It wasn't no. funny when I was in grade school. Um, but the... Uh, that aside, the casual, like, acknowledgement of the postal dude being in the kitchen at the same time. Yep. With him just coming out being all howdy neighbor as if him fucking his wife in this dude's own home is not wrong. That's good. That is good. That is well done. And then, and, and, and I will give them credit. They commit to the flower joke. Yes, they do. Because you're then, I don't know if treated is the word I would use. But as well, here's awful, the thing. as awful as the visual of those two people having sex was the first time, you're, it's then demonstrated with the flower. Yeah, there's one thing to like know about this film is every time they introduce a concept, where in another movie the joke would just be the introduction of the concept, Postal always follows through. It's not enough to reference a shocking thing. It it has to show has the to shocking be shown. thing. Right. They always, as you say, commit to the follow-through. And For good or ill, mostly ill. In this case, it's... In this case, it's absolutely necessary. Because there's no saving this joke. So, if you're gonna it, it becomes do it... One of, yeah, it becomes one of those, if, you, if you're gonna go in like that, you're gonna have to do it hard. Yeah. You're just gonna have to sink as as, as, low, as low as you as possibly you can. can. Yeah, yeah. So, dude, goes which to in pay its own him. way demonstrates a sick understanding of comedy. Yep. But yes. <laughs> so Dave calls Uncle Dave to ask for money. And while he's on the phone, the guy in the tracksuit from earlier who was asking for money approaches again and pulls a gun on dude. 
Dude tries to take the gun and they struggle while Dave continues to talk about frequently frequent flyer miles on the other end of the line, completely unaware. Until the gun goes off and kills tracksuit guy. And this, I guess, is a a moment, uh, a breaking point moment for the postal dude. Is this the moment he decides to go postal? I, I, yes. I, don't, I, I guess so. It's like like everything. He's had this really really shitty day. And it ends with him accidentally killing a guy and therefore... He's and acknowledging that... how easy that was, I guess. Yes. He's kind of crossed that barrier of, well, shit, now I might as well just... Just, just... Follow, like, like, do as the movie does and commit to the follow-through. Right. So dude grabs the phone, tells Dave that he's in for the plan. Osama bin Laden's recording a new message from a cave-like set and being fawned over by his second-in-command, Muhammad. Um, after berating a production assistant over getting his coffee order wrong, he expresses discontent with the current state of the movement and how it's all about the virgins now. Uh, his director, Muhammad, tries to explain that their new plan involving a shipment of crotchy dolls will be bigger than 9-11, but Osama disbelieves and is inconsolable. So this is the first time we see Osama bin Laden in the film, and he is played, he is, he's played by an actor that... Uh, I would suspect a lot of Americans would recognize if he didn't have the beard. Because uh, he's played by Larry Thomas, who was the soup Nazi on Seinfeld. Um, and I, I think he's very funny in this. Um, you don't... The main running joke is, is he doesn't attempt an accent. Like, None. Except for that scene in the in what we're supposed to think is a cave until it's revealed it's a set yeah only only when he's recording this message does he have this voice and 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 then it's dropped and he has this very americanized voice underneath that and it's the it's funny and and he's just so casual and and totally it's just so not what you would expect of this they make this like slightly ineffective sympathetic Osama Bin Laden and it's <laughs> that is so that in itself is so fucked up that you make a you make an Osama Bin Laden with the explicit design that the viewer is supposed to sympathize with him that's fucking sick yeah like and yeah. <laughs> and I have to give it some credit it's kind of funny, especially now that he's dead. Maybe it would have been less funny if Osama bin Laden were still out there. Yeah, which he was at the time of exactly. This. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, for framing as well, uh, just because I mean it, it comes up in the film and, and also would give you an idea of the climate in which it was released. This was released under the Bush administration. Yeah, this would have been two thousand seven, I believe. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Or no, but it didn't. It, it really well. It released in Germany in two thousand and seven. It took another six months to come out in the U.S., which is interesting. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Uh, anyway, cut back to Dave and Dude, who are discussing uh, Dave's idea to acquire the only two thousand crotchy dolls in the U.S. that are soon to arrive in Little Germany, and sell them online for four thousand dollars each. But they, they fail to come up with a plan much beyond that. And I like this exchange because it sort of sets them up as kind of mildly incompetent. 
but yeah. have a, a have this sort of odd working relationship and this level of comfort. Um, and and I really I like every scene with Dave Foley in it because he does a great job of being self-effacing and and kind of blowing this whole thing off. I, I don't know. He you could put Dave Foley anywhere though, and I'd probably enjoy him. His his new stand-up on Netflix uh, is quite quite funny. If, if I mean, if you like inappropriate humor, holy shit, that man, he, he went the Saget route in his later years. It's gone, oh, it's gotten mean. Anyway, uh, Eugene Wells is continuing to gather support for the fuck you party outside of the convenience store, and it's making Habib's guests nervous um, because it's a critical time in their plan, and they don't want to draw a bunch of attention. Yeah, they they seem to believe that J.K. Simmons' character is on to them. Yes, and so they're going to have to deal with that. Dude comes into the store to buy a Slim Jim to execute his part of his new idea for how they're going to deal with this crotchy dolls thing. And he totally fails to notice one of the Taliban moving through the shop past him, uh, wearing a suicide vest. And the bomber goes outside, hugs Eugene Wells, and detonates. And there's just a big... Explosion that paints the entire outside of the Al Qaeda, uh, though not Taliban. Oh uh, no, they're Taliban. Are they Taliban? They're ta- well, they sh- they should be Taliban. I think I think they confuse the two or put the two together or conflate the two because it's supposed to be a Taliban hideout operating out of the back. There's text that indicates it first time they show it. Um, I don't know. I'm calling them Taliban the rest of the way because that seems to be okay. what they... But, you know, I mean, we're looking for accuracy in a, a Uva Bowl That's film. true. Yeah, well, I mean, going off postal law... Right. It was always Al-Qaeda. Okay. Well, that... Yeah. But but if, they, if they're calling them Taliban, I didn't see the text. Yeah, I'm, I mean, um, I'm, I I'm text, 99% but... sure. Yeah. I'm not I'm not accusing you of anything. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I called... What's his face? Ernest Borgnine. So <laughs> my... My take on what's going on, it should not be taken as accurate at all. So next, uh, after Dude buys his Slim Jam, very casually, following the explosion of this uh, bomb, uh, he attempts to steal a delivery truck, climbing the fence around it by using an unconscious, an unconscious panhandler in a motorized wheelchair as a step. Now, A, great gag. B... Again, I gotta admire some of the the approach to writing. This film is a lot like um, it's a lot like slaughtering a pig and using fucking every single piece of that pig to yeah. its full effect. You know, yeah, nothing goes to waste. Nothing goes to waste in this movie, and so you you we're introduced to this panhandler that it is such a, he, he's in a, a motorized scooter and the dude moves the scooter around. So it's more in front of this fence that has barbed wire on it or something that's prevented him from just climbing it. And I didn't understand that. I didn't see the barbed wire. I must've missed it, but he's going to use, he's going to stand on this guy's shoulders to do it. And so there's this whole, it dra- in a lot of movies, I bitch about how long it takes scenes to do. In this case, it's done for a very clear comic effect. Uh, it, it takes him a good, I would say, 45 seconds to move yeah. this guy into position. 
and then climb on his shoulders and get over it. And and you would expect like that's enough to just be a joke. And to have this handicapped guy there and do this kind of really offensive, insensitive taking advantage of this poor guy joke. But this is postal. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to let an opportunity slip. And, you know, since we had to have the mentally disabled character, we got to have the physically disabled character, too. Of course. That's that's what we call balance. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so while the dude is in the truck trying to steal it, the racist cop drives up in a minivan to pick up the panhandler, calling him Harry and taking the money that he's been collected, complaining that it's not enough, treating him as though this were a, a pimp-prostitute relationship, almost. Mm-hmm. And it's not really clarified how Harry gets his money, so that could be the relationship. No, 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 it is. Is it? Is that literally it? Before Postal Dude um, moves him, someone walks past and drops money in an upturned baseball cap that's in his hands. No, 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 I know he's panhandling. Yeah. I just, I don't know if he's actually a prostitute. Oh, no, no, I, 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 I like, never in addition that. to the panhandling, like, if that's how he's making no, the No, I, I only, re- I, I read it as the joke is, he's and, criticizing yeah. this guy, when his job is literally to stand there and rely on exactly. goodwill and luck. Yes, he's criticizing him, and then, you know, yeah, it's... And it is funny. Um, and apparently, this has been going on for a long time. Because the cop then drives Harry to his house, and he's got, like, the minivan has a ramp. Yeah, like, the joke's done, but they carry it on. Yeah. Because they're not done making their point. Right. So he brings, they, they take you home, and he's got this whole fucking setup in his garage with food in a, you know, in an IV tube to feed him through, and changes of clothes, and diapers, and all of this stuff that yeah. he has It's implied to... he, like, bathes him once a month as, as a reward if he brings in enough money. Which is, you know, like, cruel, and, and so forth, in terms of treatment, but at the same time... The man has gone to considerable length, all the same, that could have been possibly unnecessary to accomplish this goal. Yeah, not to mention for a pittance. Yes! Like, the amount, like, it must have been more expensive to get this set up than it is for the money he's making, especially because at one point he complains about Harry only making ten bucks and says tomorrow he needs at least twenty-one. Yeah, and then, and, and so, like, and then, it's such small stakes, and again, like it's they frame it in a in a terribly offensive, um, horrible joke, but the jokes within it are they're good. They're very good. Yes, and, and, the low stakes of what he's doing for the effort is that's a funny bit and and it's and there's this question that's raised after you know as as this joke persists where it's like oh man 
this guy is a complete fucking asshole taking advantage of this guy in this way. And then against the grudge, you see the lengths that he's gone to, and you're like, oh, maybe there's more to this relationship. Like, he might actually genuinely care about the well-being of this guy on some That's level. That's it, because, like, his, And then like, he, he makes... leaves the garage <laughs> and closes the door behind him, saying that that's where he stays for the night, and it's clear that he doesn't. It's just, it goes one well, way well, that... well, it's not just that, like... He goes to leave, and Harry makes a grunting noise, and then the cop is like, oh, I forgot, it gets cold in my garage, and then just throws a blanket over his head and face, <laughs> and leaves him like that. Which again plays into what you said, because he talks to him very affectionately. Yeah. And and it is this odd, like, what he's doing is cruel and horrific and horrible, and yet he seems to be acting or thinking like, like what he's doing is good. Yeah. It's 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 oh oh talking about this film is hard. Yeah, it it is cuz I want I want I wanted it to be so uh, I wanted it to be easy. <laughs> like that would have been nice. Yeah, I think it uh, like not that Uva Ball films are ever easy. They're always painful. You got to watch them first. It's a real hurdle. Right, but I was expecting I wasn't expecting a challenge on this of this type and scale, I guess. Um, but anyway, we should get moving because it is we're starting to rack up time. Uh, yeah, things yeah, do we, pick we, up from this point at least. Yeah, because we've got all the sort of setup in place. Um, dude explains that his. I think we've even introduced all the characters just about. Um, dude explains his plan to steal the crotchy dolls by coming to the crotchy event at Little Germany through the employee entrance keeping security distracted by pissing off the celebrity guest who's going to be appearing. Uh, knowing that when a celebrity is pissed off, everybody is on a walking on eggshells to make sure they're happy because they are the most important thing right then. There's a little celebrity humor. So it's subtle, yeah. not great delivery on it, but it's there and I appreciated it. And it turns out that uh, the celebrity in question is Vern Troyer playing himself. Um, How did you feel about Vern Troyer appearing? I think Vern Troyer's going to do what Vern Troyer's going to do. Uh, That's I, very fair. I think he is the other side of the coin to Peter Dinklage in a lot of ways, where little people in cinema are concerned. Um, there's a certain dignity that Dinklage seems to command that Troyer really does not give a shit about. And yeah. and I'm and if that's if that's who you are and that's what you want to do, that's fine. Like I have no I have no personal problem for example with the woman who plays dude's wife in this, even though I think that the jokes taken at that character's expense are disgusting. Um but you know, got to make a living, it's her job and if she doesn't have a problem with it, I don't have a problem with that. She's, mm -hmm. she's not obligated to be offended on my behalf. So... No, that's a fair argument. Um, yeah, I mean, my, 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 I'm, I'm just asking for every celebrity that appears, I want your reaction to it. Uh, yeah, this was not surprising at all. Mm -hmm. Like, this, this made perfect sense. I actually completely expect Vern Troyer to appear in a Uwe Boll film. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think it's because Gary Coleman refused? Gary Coleman was dead. <laughs> yeah 
Um, oh no, not yet. He I wasn't called... dead yet. He wasn't dead. Okay, yet. there we go. Yeah. 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 No, so... he, he wouldn't die for a few more years. What I said wasn't offensive. Sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> boy, but boy, boy, like I that, genuinely was. Funny? Yeah, I genuinely was curious. Wouldn't like, that have been because... a good goof? Um, yeah, no. Like, yeah. You'd think that they they if they were gonna go for someone because yeah. Gary Coleman was so famously in Postal Two, that's who they'd have gotten. But instead, they were like, well, we can't get him. Let's find a, another celebrity who, you know, we can make jokes about the size of. You know what, you know what actually Troy. is painful about that? Is that I bet that's not how it went. I bet it was, I bet we can get Vern Troyer. Because Coleman, like, at the time that the Postal video game was made, they're like, I bet we can get Gary Coleman. And Gary Coleman was... No, not one a guy with a career much to speak of at that point, but here we have this movie and there's a budget and and it's at a point where Troyer is still well known following Austin Powers. You know, yeah, he's he's been able to ride that out a long time, and if you have to choose one or the other, I think to be in your you film feel like as they traded up. Yeah, I think they traded up. Which kind of bums me out, because yeah, that's that's a sadder read on it than mine. Yeah, uh... my read was at the expense of the film, whereas yours was at the expense of poor dead Gary Coleman. Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah. who, you know, you, this you just could... made a joke at the expense of this choke. This this check could have changed his life. Mm-hmm. No, made made his last few years a little better. Um, following that, you know, in, in in the time he didn't do anything that year. He uh, had a brief appearance in, in an American Carol, and, and he was in a film called Midgets vs. Mascots that I'm not even going to look up. Oh, dear. Uh, had a few very, very small television appearances, including in an episode of Penn and Teller Bullshit. Um, so, dude could have used the work. Um, dude kind of earned it for having to be associated with Postal in the first place. The last time he got yeah. paid? Like, it just makes some sense that if they were going to have a celebrity, it would be him. If they were going to have that that kind of celebrity, you know, if they were going to if they're going to trade on someone, someone's celebrity for being diminutive. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like go for the guy you already had. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh well, it's Vern Troyer who you know you he know, works and, with yeah. what he was given, and 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 you know, all of the jokes. At the expense of little people are what you would expect. And so I don't find them... I don't f- I don't find them offensive as compared to a lot of these other ones. And he makes a honestly, lot of them. Honestly, like, like, considering what he'd already done in Austin Powers, it was it was just par for the course as far as all of Vern's scenes are concerned. Yeah. And, and it, I, my expectations for the dignity thing... He was in... Um, a movie Polly Shore made not long after. Well, there we go. Why well, expect any dignity at all? I, I will tell you though, if you're going to watch one Polly Shore movie, make it Polly Shore is dead. I mean, it's insulting in a lot of ways to comedy on principle. Um, and he invokes the ghost of Sam Kinison in the movie. He talks to the ghost of Sam Kinison right in the movie, which is shockingly offensive on so many levels regardless of their personal relationship 
Because um, mm-hmm. Kinnison used to uh, watch uh, Polly Shore as a child. He used to babysit him. Which, that's fucked up. Sort of yeah. tells you who Mitzi Shore was as a mother. But what can you do? Anyway. Uh, Vern Troyer winds up left eight miles out of town by this bus, as set up by the Doom Cult. Elsewhere, the Taliban are planning their own assault in the Karachi event, and Bin Laden gets a call from his buddy George W. Bush, where they discuss blowing up an oil pipeline in Saudi Arabia for mutual profit. Um, I actually don't, I don't have strong feelings about the George W. Bush Osama Bin Laden jokes in this. It's just it's it's a very obvious kind of joke, like ha ha. Or imagine if they work together. It, it it's. It's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm the same as you. Like, I've got no strong feelings about it either way. It's. I don't think they're overly funny. I don't think they're uh, particularly offensive. No, um, they're, and ultimately they're not clever. They're. It's just a a, a joke yep. that's there. Yep. Little yeah. Germany, however. Oh no! Boy, do you want to yes. talk about jokes? So well, many jokes in Little Germany. You remember what we said about them leaving nothing to waste and committing to the bit? I do recall that. Welcome to Little Germany, everyone. Yes. So, uh, Little Germany is a theme park which, from the, like, at very first appearance, and I have to give them credit for this um, uh, bait and switch. Uh, When you hear Little Germany and it suggests that it's a theme park and you're watching Postal, your immediate, immediate reaction should be, oh, it's a Nazi theme park. And then when you get the first look at it, it looks at, on its immediate face like a more culturally positive, older German environment. Lederhosen. Yeah, lots, lots of Lederhosen and, and all that, and, yeah. Yeah, and you know it's 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 an Oktoberfest kind of vibe, but then there's the little things, the signs all over the place pointing to Nazi-related attractions that mm-hmm. underpin it all, and it's like you're expecting Nazis. You're like, oh shit, this okay, this is weird. Well, I'm kind of relieved, and then you're like, oh right, Nazis. Yeah, so, again, yeah. like like displaying. A knowledge of comedy, of of trying to at least subvert expectations, even as they fulfil them. Yeah. And being way more... I mean, I, I watched fucking Sausage Party this weekend. Not my idea. <laughs> I've heard and, mixed things. Well, I mean, Sausage Party is postal without setups for gags subtlety or funny things happening so pixels yes <laughs> but pixels if it tried to be postal oh okay all right so rather than being funny and offensive it's just offensive except however that a thing happens at the end of sausage party which is just a, an audiovisual assault on the senses um I say audio-visual assault on the senses. Uh, it's an assault on two senses, audio and visual. Um, and it's so out there and so like this, committed to what it does and does not stop and is relentless. Yes, that and that's the, the thing. The entire unfunny film 
leading up to that scene in Sausage Party turns the movie into this experimental work of comedy genius. Yeah, this so yeah. this little Germany scene, and, and I call it a scene because the whole thing takes, I guess, it's about 15 minutes of the movie, everything that happens in Little Germany. Maybe that's exaggerating, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, it is so densely packed with small offensive jokes yeah. that y- y- you will probably not see them all on first view. It's really hard to unpack yeah. what's happening. Uh, and and why I brought up Sausage Party is because the German food in Sausage Party are all dressed up like Hitler. Of course. And talking about exterminating the juice. Of course. Um, I, look, I've made and, that and juice it's, joke a lot. And it's... Well, it's it's just the difference between Sausage Party... Well, I thought of Sausage Party because that is such a... It's the exact sledgehammer approach you'd expect in Postal that they subvert. Mm-hmm. And it's... The stuff in Postal is way more densely packed with offensive jokes than the the German jokes in Sausage Party. But they're better because, as you say, they're they're more subtle about it. Well, and it's it it, it, it is subtle while simultaneously committing yes. so hard that it's it's inescapable. Yeah, like it it. It's all background, but there's so much of it, it might as well be the foreground, but it's not the foreground. Until, until it does become, again, the foreground. Because yes. like, there's all of this, you know, just short scenes, and you see every character that's been introduced to the film so far that isn't part of our, our sort of lead group of characters, our lead Taliban group and our, our lead cult group. Uh, everybody else in this place, uh, that's in this movie, is in Little Germany right now. Yeah, for the coffee event. shop lady is there selling, like, she's at a coffee stand. The cops are there. The old men are there. Honest Harry's Borg there. Nine is there. Yeah. Uh, they're they're all there for it. And that, so that's... This yeah. is one of those convergence moments in the plot, and it's very sort of cleverly... This is the moment where if you hadn't figured out what they were doing with this narrative structure and, and whether or not characters were important or if they were just going to be thrown away, it's obvious here. Yeah, this is where it all comes together. And um, it also explains the backstory between the cop and Harry. Yes, it does. Yes, it lays which out. Which was incredible. Again, offensive, but told with. with I, I, it's the delivery. It's the delivery that, that makes it. Yep. Such um, commitment. Yeah, but, but just to give you a brief cliff notes of that relationship Harry was a bicyclist who, um, he, he, uh, it was a car accident, like the, I think the cop's so, car yeah. ran into his bicycle, and his dog was in the car, and the cop took his dog to the hospital and left Harry in his trunk of his car, or in mm-hmm. his garage, or somewhere, just left the body, and, and was surprised to find him alive when he came back. <laughs> And they've been and, together ever since. Yeah, and and he talks about him with, with pride and fondness. Yeah, there's a... There's as a, he a, relates this horrific story. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the stage for this event um, has the morning talk show host from earlier, and he's interviewing Uva Boll, who yeah, owns... What did you think... Hmm? About Uva Bolt. What did I think about Uva Bolt? What did you think when he turned up 
And sorry, I, I, I cut you off there. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. You, we're gonna say he's he owns the little he, Germany. He theme owns park. the. Good for Uwe Boll, I guess. <laughs> is what I have to say about that. Like, I don't. This doesn't make me like him on a personal level. He's not a likable person. Yeah, he's not a likable person. Um, But it was a bold move to play a Nazi pedophile version of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like, I I respect what he he did here, even if I don't respect him. Um, That was very bold. It showcased a a self-awareness he's not showcased since. Ever. (laughs) And, And before, yeah. Like, like, for this moment, for this one film, he got it. And then went back to taking himself way too seriously and everything. But for this one, there are jokes at the expense of him making shitty video game movies. There are jokes at the expense of, of him... Well, like I said... Not having any he, respect for video games at all. Not having any matter. respect um, for video games. There's a bit where he's like, oh, I, I feel so horny up on stage. Of look at the families and the little children. And, and it... He talks about how his movies are ref- uh, financed by Nazi gold. What else are you going to do with the Nazi gold? And, 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 the, and this woman... And this is... Again, this is a perfectly structured joke. Yes. That... Um, and, and maybe only Uwe Boll could deliver it in this film and make it work. I don't know. But a woman in the crowd comes up and, and is outraged at his just sort of casual acknowledgement that his films are are financed with nazi gold and says my grandfather says my father died in auschwitz or grandfather i think it was grandfather either way yeah and i think it's grandfather yeah i think it was grandfather and uva ball replies my grandfather died at auschwitz too he fell out of a watchtower yeah which again like you said it's it's a competently set up joke what hammers it home is he then tells security to get rid of her? Yes. Yeah. And like he just he just acts like a Nazi. Just a Nazi pedophile. And he's not playing a character. He's playing he's himself. He's portraying Uwe Boll as himself. As this horrific version of himself, which, as offensive as the film is, as detestable as Uwe Boll is as a man. That did take some doing. Yep. That that took some doing. Ah, <sighs> and uh, let's see. Well, the Doom Cult starts sneaking in. Yeah, and... we haven't even gotten to the most offensive part of the Little Germany sequence yet. The most shocking part. No. That's coming. I'd forgotten. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry. So they they have sn- they're sneaking in. They're they're distracting guards with their sex and hiding by all wearing little Hitler mustaches and swastikas. And, um... The subtlety angle's gone by this point. Yeah, yeah, no, subtlety's gone. And, uh, Vern Troyer arrives, suitably upset to keep the staff occupied, and so Dude thinks that they have this whole thing made, and they start loading up the uh, crotchy dolls. Uh, which have a pull string and says phrases... Uh, and Vern Troyer vo- voices those as well. He apparently voices Crotchy in the cartoon based on that th- th- this doll comes from. Yeah. And the joke is it's a child's toy and he's talking about things going in his ass. Yep. Very, and very what funny. What goes in my ass stays in my ass. Ha ha ha! 
and but the Taliban shows up, climbing climbs the wall and interrupts the Doom Cult's thievery, forcing Dave and Dude to escape by passing through the main area of the event where they're sure to be caught. Now, uh, Richie, uh, in case you've forgotten, is Uncle Dave's uh, partner in the cult. He prays for intervention, and suddenly, on stage, the guy in the crotchy costume takes off his head and reveals himself to be postal creator Vince Desi, who, angry at how his video game is being treated in Uva Bowl's film, assaults him. So shit just gets, like, completely meta yeah yeah it's to be honest i find this bit cringy i do as well this is dumb um but the whole reason for it is <laughs> like the, as if as if up until then it's not been dumb right but it's been it's almost all been done with dumb with purpose i get what you mean yeah 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 and this this too is dumb with purpose but the purpose equally dumb um, there's a brief fight, and, well, no, there is... And again, a... everyone pulls guns out. Everyone pulls guns. There's this big... Uberball sh- gets a boxing glove at one point because yep, of the boxing reference thing. the boxing thing, and he gets pinned down, and, um, and Desi is pulled off of him. And, I mean, it's, you know, there's another one of these big violent outbursts. Yeah. Desi gets killed. Uh, no, uh, not yet, not yet. Oh, sorry. Because I, I this, this, this is why this is why this Vince Desi thing is important to the plot. Okay, sorry. Um, he after he gets pulled off of Uva Bowl, he pulls out a gun. Yep. Points it at Uva Bowl and screams for video games. And at, it's at oh, this cringy. It's at this moment. Now I got to give credit for how it was done uh, in terms of technical execution. Because they tried to hide the fact that they did it almost. Like, there's some Foley dubbing that was put over it, and it's quieter than other shit, and it doesn't yeah. sound like it's in place. It's like, it sounds. I still hear it, though. Oh, yeah, it's still there. Um, but it's at this moment that Postal Dude uh, comes up onto the stage from where he's running from the Taliban, bumps into Vince Desi with the gun who then shoots someone, and that's what kicks off all of the gunfight in this area um, and everybody getting killed. And the reason that this is important is that so then Postal Dude is the one blamed for having killed everybody because he was the one seen on camera when the gun goes off. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's... I totally forgot that's how they nabbed him. Yeah, that's that's how yeah. that worked. Um. And then it's Harry who winds up getting shot uh, in this, the the disabled man who... uh, So he gets shot, which, of course, drives the police to start shooting and and everything goes crazy. Uh, With the Taliban, the police, and everybody else already having a gun. It's just a big shooting match. Uva Bowl gets shot in the dick. Yep. um, In a... Can you call it fan service? Ah... Is this technically fan service? It's service. (laughs) I think that's what we... It's service. (laughs) He gets his dick blown off and then says, I hate video games and falls over dead. Now, Conrad, I have a question for you at this point. Sure. 
When are you going to tell us about them kids getting shot, though? Uh, I'd like to hear about that bit, please. It does just seems to be one shot after another of children being shot. Yeah, there is... During the shootout, it starts off like a kid gets shot and dies. And it's shocking. And a genuine... Like, it's not me being sarcastic. Like, it's, it's a genuine startling moment to watch a little boy get shot and killed. Right. And then it's back to more shooting, and then another one gets shot and killed. Mm -hmm. And then just loads. Because, again, this is the postal movie, and it's not just gonna let something stand. It's not gonna let something just stay there as it is. So it's then a montage of small children getting shot, graphically enough for, for a film... And dying. How'd that make you feel? Um, I mean, <laughs> at this point in this movie, and this movie being what it is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you were quite like quite laissez faire. I really it. was. Like, it did not. Yeah. It didn't have a whole lot of. Uh, I, I I knew it. What got, they were... it, it it honestly like it. Even again, watching for the second time took me by surprise. I'd forgotten about all the dead kids. And I was watching it, and, and it shocked me all over again. I think I think that I could make an argument for this film's capability to desensitize. Because it, everything in it is so beyond the pale and extreme that, that by the time it reached the point where we're seeing a dozen children violently killed on screen, it, it just fits so perfectly with everything else that's fucked up about this movie yeah, fair enough that, for me it, it, it was a real sort of jaw-dropping moment. like I, I i admire significantly the lean-in i guess um and the willingness to commit but then that's present and everything else this movie does uh is that is it more impressive because they're killing so many kids so violently uh, i don't know um but it's the same it's if you yeah, it, I, I wasn't shocked by it, but I, I did appreciate what they were doing. Okay. Um, and, and since, you know, just, just, just as a aside, I mean, it, we do all of this school shooting stuff and, and we get all this fear about that and, and terror around and it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and I do think that there's something to be said for this scene's presence in the film as a satire of how just normalized that is. Um, so I, God damn it, I hate to have to respect it too, in some ways. Um, but I, I do. Uh, so after the scene where all the children got killed that you respected, what happens next? The cultists escape. They're pursued by police. Seeing uh, the women, uh, he, and, and he sees the woman from the welfare office, Dave, uh, dude does, from earlier, mm-hmm. who shut him down. And he swerves to hit her. She bounces off the front of his truck, and then on, is well done. onto the cop car following him. It's, it's, you know, it's digital, but it's well executed. Yeah. Uh, it's, she bounces off, I think, three cars in total. Yeah, I think there's a, a third car in there somewhere. Yeah, like like she, the van hits her. She bounces off one car, then the cop car. I thought or it was is it three car, cars and then the cop car, car goes then... over her? No, the cop car doesn't go over her. 
uh, it lands on her. She, it, it, she hits its hood, and then she hits the ground next to it. Um, but there right. might there is a, another car in there somewhere, I think. But it is. It's very. It's just good slapstick. Yeah. And um, the uh, but because he hit the car, the, the cop car stops and uh, to, to check on her. And I forget what it was. What? Well, he he gets out. Yeah. And sees that a woman's lying dead in the road and says, thank God, because he thought he'd bust a tire or something. Right, yeah, he thought he damaged the car. Yeah, and then calls about a body on Maple Street, and then she has to repeat that, and he says, like the syrup. <laughs> That's actually funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, like his, he, he's talking about it like it's a clean-up on aisle five. Yep. Like, they've, they've just got a body on Maple, which is also funny when you consider how many bodies are at Little Germany yeah. that are not reported by the cops. Arriving back at the compound, the cultists discovered that the Taliban have beaten them there, but Richard has a secret underground bunker for the, uh, in which they can hide. They just have to go through Uncle Dave's bedroom. Um, so Dude takes the uh, truck of crotchy dolls and parks it somewhere else so that the uh, Taliban won't find it. And on his way back, he passes by a group of cops who are warning a group of people to be on the lookout for him, the postal dude, because now every death in the film has been attributed to him since he was seen on camera at the Little Germany event. Mm-hmm. So one This of is the, the first time he's referred to as postal dude Yes, as it well. is. Uh, one of, and, and they specifically... Make the reference, we couldn't come up with anything better than that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just a nice little nudge to the, yeah. No, they didn't, because they didn't care when Postal was made. No. Um, so. It was the, a popular thing to do at that era. You had, like, the Marine from Doom was the Doom guy. Yep. The Doom Marine, you know. Yep. So one of the people recognizes the dude, or Postal dude. I don't want to confuse the two. Let's not confuse the dude and Postal <laughs> dude. Yes. Although, if I could see this character in the Big Lebowski, and if I could see the dude in this film, <laughs> those are two movies that I would watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, one of the people recognizes Postal Dude and Mom starts chasing him, except for the cops who don't recognize him due to the older photo of the dude that they have with long hair, even though it's just like, it looks, his, his face is so distinctive. Yeah. Like he looks identical except for long hair, but the cops, because the photo is, has the wavy hair. And then the cop says just quietly to himself, this guy looks like Jesus, which I found quite funny. So just referring to this mass murderer as looking looking like like Jesus. Jesus. So he, he passes, dude, the, the postal dude passes the convenience store where Habib and his daughter are just finishing cleaning up from the murder of Eugene Wells outside of their store. And Habib directs uh, dude to hide inside and then sends the mob past. Uh, and his, his daughter asks why he helped him. And says, Do you want to clean the windows again? <laughs> it's a good joke. It's a good joke. It is a good, it's a very good joke, actually. Uh... And again, ties in previous characters just to keep them in the mix. Yep. Um, Postal Dude then runs into a cop. Now, he's not one of the two we've seen before. Um, which is nice. 
because mm-hmm. he's also African-American. So they, they put in more... Like, this has a diverse cast. I guess it kind of has to. A more diverse cast than Pixels. It has a more it has a more diverse task, more diverse it's cast got a more than diverse... most Hollywood films yeah. do. Well, it's got a more... Just again, because... And if they're there so that we can make stereotype jokes like it it runs counter <laughs> to everything that you want from a pro-diversity standpoint and yet more diverse because of that fucking hell this movie it's it's a puzzle for the age mm. so back at the compound oh no so he got uh, Postal Dude kills this cop, takes his gun and uniform as a disguise to get past the mob that's hunting him, which turns out to, in a funny joke, be a community watch group. You know, all being heavily armed and this, like, obsessive about protecting their neighborhood. It's Mm -hmm. not a bad little goof. Once back at the compound, Dude clears the way to Dave's bedroom for the rest of the group of cultists by sneaking in and killing a terrorist stealthily. By using a cat for a gun silencer. Literally putting the barrel of the gun into the cat's ass. Reference to the games. Uh, uh is it? Yep, the cat silencer. Okay. Uh, so the, and then it puts the cat down. The cat's fine. That's good goof. Yep. I liked that. Um, and then, uh, he... Gets everybody else into the uh, into Uncle Dave's bedroom, and Richard has a secret door open to this massive hidden bomb shelter, uh, referred to as the God Shelter. It's filled with supplies and guns that he's prepared, completely unknown to uh, Uncle Dave, in preparation for the end of the world, which he truly believes. Um, apparently, even though Dave knows that it, Dave, you know, Dave has seemingly expressed to him very clearly that this is a scam and has been from the beginning. Um, and Uncle Dave thinks it's a distraction from his goal of selling the crotchy dolls. But uh, Richie says the, souls, the dolls aren't going to get sold because it's not a part of his plan to actually end the world. And so we see that the, the plans come together. Everything just sort of uh, mm-hmm. is, is explained at this point. Effort went into this plot. I know. Thought. More than pixels. Like, <laughs> why is it? Why is it Pixels, a film that deserves some effort? Some. I'm not asking for a lot. Certainly not the kind of effort that Postal has gone to. Yeah, like, I mean, Pixels doesn't even get a token effort. And then we have this thing. <laughs> this, this film that deserves nothing ever has care and attention. But let's, let's hurry it up. Yeah, yep. So, uh... <laughs> Muhammad explains. Broad strokes. Muhammad explains what the Taliban's cl- plan for the crotchy dolls is, which is that they uh, also use them to sh- smuggle a a shipment of avian bird flu in order to destroy the United States. I'm not sure how the bird flu wound up in them in the first place, or if they. That's not explained at all. That's the one. If it's the one plot hole in this otherwise. <laughs> masterfully constructed narrative <laughs> this seamless film <laughs> this cinematic masterpiece uh so they're going to use these crotchy dolls to spread the bird flu throughout the united states because we have no way of 
preventing, uh, uh, inoculating or protecting our people from the bird flu. So we're all going to die. Now, Richard also explains this to the cultists because he knows this plan. Uh, as Dude recognizes one of the women that they've been traveling with in their little coterie as being the one he had seen at the coffee shop flirting with Muhammad earlier. Uh, which explains... They actually went to the effort to explain how Richard knew the plan of the Taliban. Which Pixels would never <laughs> have done. <laughs> and as Richard actually believes the scriptures written by Uncle Dave... He plans to use the dolls more broadly to bring, apart, to bring apart the end of days and not just destroy the United States. Oh, and Vern Troyer is there because Uncle Dave wrote that he would be raped by a thousand monkeys on the Day of Reckoning in his Bible. Because he was high as fuck yep. and just wrote whatever. Now, do you remember what we said about earlier I mentioned that this film can't just say a concept and let you think about it. <laughs> that it that has is to correct. show you. It must commit, and that is exactly what happens to poor Vern what, what Troyer. What do we see? What 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 do we see happen to Vern Troyer in this film? We see Vern Troyer taken to a to a metal door, which is open, behind which there is this really amusingly composed scene. I would say amusingly nightmare. Like it's genuinely a horrific image. Yeah, because I mean they've just they've, they've put together a lot of different you know footage of monkeys standing around in stupid ways. Like this isn't uh just a matter of someone's at the door and if it's my wife I'm I'm going to be very upset. One moment. Okay. If it is, I'm going to make her watch Postal. And then watch Pixels. For interrupting this podcast, which is already running over time. I mean, I said, I wanted to be like an hour? Hour and 30 minutes, maybe. Tops. And here we are. My recording is sitting at 2 hours and 3 minutes, 40 seconds. Which, yeah. it may, once I cut it down... Um, <laughs> It's actually no. It will be extended because I will have added little music bits. It's going to be fucking long. I feel terrible. I'm sorry. We're almost done. It yeah. actually is. And I could have. I could have remained quiet, so we could have cut that out to reduce running time. Instead, I had to do a bit. Oh, and I, I wish I'd heard it. I'm sure it was hilarious. Yeah, it was worth the extra time. So definitely, uh, it's it's not worth even fast forwarding to get to later. Okay. Um. Well, so. Vern, basically there, there are a bunch of horrific monkeys happens. and they, they 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 show it like through the porthole of this steel door they watch Vern Troyer be raped by a thousand monkeys and yeah. god god bless him for the commitment i guess that's it is horrifying um now the taliban discusses which of them is going to start the outbreak by being blown up with the virus and they settle on mentally disabled abdul um, that's the whole point of this is to, again, sort of illustrate these Taliban members as kind of not so committed. You know, they're, they're, they're really self-interested in their own way and they're not that committed to this cause over that. Um, and so they're going to use Abdul, uh, to start their outbreak. They then wonder where Osama is and it turns out he's at a business management seminar in a scene that goes on way too long. 
and we're moving on from it. It's not that Although I will say, I won't repeat it, but the character that's introduced for just this goof has the one line in the film that made me actually put my hand over my mouth. Which is? I'm not repeating it. Oh. It was it was his last line of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I actually for a while my mouth hung open. Yeah, that's that's in the next scene. And it is Yeah. It is the same they use the same technique as they used for the N word last time. In yes. that they say it and they move so swiftly past it that they they don't want to Yeah. Yeah. It was it was the one point of this film where I truly was I can't believe that was said. Yeah. Yep. You are that's that's it exactly. I'm sorry there's no toilet paper. I'll get some. Okay. Quickly so, now. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I also stopped to yell at my wife. <laughs> um so the uh let's see where were where were we? Um oh yeah, they decided on Ab- on Abdul, they um uh, Osama's at the business management seminar. In the bunker, dude asks if Richard's going to shoot them. And Uncle Dave decides that, you know, well, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. Might as well go along with the plan because he's an asshole. Um, but Richard has interpreted Dave's scripture to say that Dave has to die also. Um, Richie kisses Dave, becomes this passionate homoerotic thing to the point where, like, to the point where Richard probably gets off during the, the moment. And Dave realizes that he's gay. It's, it comes so far out of nowhere. Yeah. And then uh, Richie shoots him and offer, and, and, and as he's dying, one of the uh, members of his harem uh, sort of goes to comfort him and he puts his hand on her breast as he has been doing throughout this film at points. He's just casually groping this woman throughout the film. Yep. And does it one more time and says, maybe I'm bi. And then dies. <laughs> And I think that they just wanted that punchline, so threw in the rest of it out of fucking nowhere just to have it. Just to have the setup. Yeah. And there is, I have to admire that in a sick way. (laughs) I really do. Uh, So he, uh, Richard offers Dude the choice to die now or die when the flu kills him. Uh, Dude explains that they can't kill him. Because he's the one who knows where the truck full of dolls is parked, and he sneakily steals some plastic explosives during this explanation. Richie locks Dude behind a metal door. Dude wires up the plastic explosive to a light fixture and blows the door off. Arming himself with the weapons in the bunker, he finds the remaining members of Uncle Dave's harem as they're waiting mostly to eat poison brownies. One just couldn't wait because she was on a cleanse. Great joke. And they decide to go with him. Uh, Upstairs, they shoot a bunch of Taliban one by one. Uh, before they leave, two of the women get into an argument and shoot each other. Uh, none of this is particularly funny or important. Uh, after making his escape, he parts ways with the last two of the women, and one tries to get on his junk, but he stops her. Not because he's married, because he wants to give the other one equal time. Uh, there's a two minutes later joke suggesting that he's not much of a, uh, doesn't have much stamina in the sexual department. Then dude heads through the city, uh, the old men see him and make a joke about how, uh, or Ernest Borgnine, as you would say, makes a joke about having slept with yeah. dude's wife a few times. And then, uh, d- uh, postal dude runs across the community watch group and runs from them until he reaches a dead end, then kills them all with a machine gun. Uh, the barista shows up 
And they hold each other at gunpoint while he explains that he's looking for a truck full of bird flu and there's some sexual tension going on. And she disbelieves what's going on until one member from each of the Taliban and the Doomsday Cult arrive at the same time and he shoots them both. Uh, Osama stops to pay for some books at the seminar, uh, but his credit card is declined because all of his assets are frozen. Cute joke. One of the other terrorists comes to him and says he's urgently needed. And then an African-American gentleman uh, comes up and also wants to buy some books. And they, they make a, a joke. I, 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 and, and I know what the line is that offended you. This is, and this is that line. I do it, not remember. I, I won't even go as far as to say it offended me. It was just... Shocking. The, it, yeah, because it's... Also, that like clearly they were painting the character as racist, but his racism was bizarre because he seems to believe black people aren't like can't be American or or like it's rare that they are or that they are sub-American in some and it, way. Yeah, like it's just such a we- it's weird. It was such such weird racism yeah. that my like my jaw hung open and I was just stunned by it well it's like you know it's it's interesting because i i think i think in a way what's kind of fascinating about this exchange is that it illustrates that there that racism isn't a binary state that there are um uh, uh different degrees and types and this guy is is more racist about muslims or more bigoted towards muslims than he is towards african-americans Racism is a spectrum. Yeah, he is still bigoted towards African-Americans, but they are not as far on the spectrum for him as Muslims. Because because they're American. And and because right now, Muslims are the enemy. Yeah. And we do this culturally. We pick one group, and that group becomes the enemy in, in America. Uh, we, you know, we did it with the Irish, we did it with the Italians, we've done it with the African Americans far longer than anybody else. Like, we've really done a great job of persisting in that. And, and, and we're doing it to the Muslims now. And that's just, it is just a part of our culture that, that we should be fighting tooth and nail at every opportunity. But it's, it's what we've historically done time and again. And this, in a way, just sort of draws attention to that. You're saying... Postal fights the good fight against racism. No. (laughs) No. I am saying that Postal does that infuriating fucking thing where it says, this is the situation, here's how funny it is, we're not taking any particular position on it. Ah. South Parked it. Yes, it's South Parking it. And I appreciate that it recognizes the problems and acknowledges them. And if I have to choose between having something that's strictly, that I feel is strictly there to be ignorant and offensive and something that is there to be ignorant and and offensive, but there is a glimmer in, in my mind that there's also some intent to make people think about this issue in some way, shape or form that's different from how they already did. I have to respect that. I yeah, I, I totally see your point. Um, and, and all, I'm, I mean, all I'm of not... this, all of this is like shaping up for me to like, like I'm trying to say that Postal's a good movie, and it's 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 not. It's a bad movie that uses its badness in so many interesting ways 
that it 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 it's, it's it needs to be witnessed. Yeah. Um, we got to move on. Yep. Sorry. You're right. <laughs> it's you're fine. Right. I, both of us are doing this. Yeah, and, and it's and it's bad. And this is this is really where it really just sort of uh, flies off the handle. Uh, driving the truck full of bird flu. Um, dude is running from community uh, watchers and um, hits a guy or hits hits a baby in a baby carriage. Oh yeah, yeah, a little newborn baby gets hit and killed. Little newborn baby gets gets hit, killed and hit. And I, I, you know what? The worst, the thing about this scene that they do, because in every one of these bits, they have to find a way to make you think, oh shit, this is worse somehow. And it's not that the mother, the the mother doesn't like accidentally tragically die trying to push the baby out of the way. She's moving directly towards the truck, sees the truck, lets go of the pram. And just runs. Doesn't yeah. try to push it in the other direction. Literally leaves her baby there to be hit by this truck. I, There you go. That's postal for you. Jesus Christ. Um, Osama, having rejoined Muhammad, explains the things he's learned from the business seminar. It's a really cute, funny scene. We're not going to waste time on it. Uh, dude's wife is having sex with the two cops now. And Postal Dude arrives with the truck and a bomb, planning to deal with both his wife and the bird flu at the same time. Uh, the Taliban, the members of the, of the cult, and the community watch people all start showing up at the same time, trying to kill Dude and the barista. Dude's neighbor comes out with a shotgun, gets killed by Richie from a turret installed in a convertible. So they, they also take the time to kill every character uh, that's yep. in this. With the exception of the two old men, who seem to get off scot-free because they're not present for this event. Um, and that makes sense too. It makes sense to me that the two old white guys are the ones that come out of this okay. <laughs> Fucking baby boomers. Um, after the, uh, after there's some shooting, Postal Dude shows everyone there's a bomb, gives this big impassioned speech. This is the scene of Postal that I had seen, uh, prior to watching the film. Gives right. this big impassioned speech about how we're all people and why can't we just find that commonality and sort of build on that and, and be a society? And they give him a very, very long time to say all of this. And then, of course, they start shooting because that joke was completely obvious. Um, maybe it needed to be in there just for completion's sake. But nobody's surprised. And yeah, it's not that yeah. funny. It was another box ticker. Yep. Uh, they start shooting again. Dude hides behind the car again. It eventually falls apart comically and offers no further protection. Protection. Good slapstick again. Uh, it's a bit that's been done a thousand times before, but it's well executed here too. Um, he and the barista then return fire and start killing everyone. Uh, and sensing that the tide may have turned, Osama slips away and calls W from a payphone to get a ride out of there. Once everybody's out of bullets, Postal Dude starts beating people up with his fist and eventually pretty much kills just about everyone there. Uh, the IRS arrives at the compound for Uncle Dave, but the Taliban are still there, and they seize this as an opportunity to perform an attack on government agents, sending out Abdul to hug one of the agents. But Abdul's not wearing his bomb. It's in Muhammad's truck, where it explodes, landing on the executive from the Glut Glutto Corporation, who interviewed Postal Dude at the beginning. Like I say, they killed everyone. Yep, yep. they leave no, yeah, yeah. Um, they they had to bring it back. It's it's inc honestly incredible. Um, 
Postal Dude drives away from the scene of the carnage with the barista, killing Richie in the process. Uh, w comes on the radio and blames China and India for the attack in Paradise. And a nuclear exchange has already uh, gone underway with the weapons about to hit Ford's uh, American soil in about two minutes. Uh, dude blows up the bomb at the trailer park with his wife and the cop's still inside saying he has no regrets. And bits of his wife rain all over the town of Paradise. Dude gives his now dead wife's hand to his dog and drives off with the barista. And Osama and W dance off into the sunset as mushroom clouds dot the horizon. And that's Postal. We gotta do something about the length of these podcasts. Seriously. This should not have taken more than an hour. But there was... Again, there's there was way too much to unpack in this movie. Yeah, like, yeah, like it, yeah. And so much of it's smart, so much of it funny, and yet so much of it with absolutely no respect or dignity. Uh, or, and, a, and a refusal to relent. Uh, this is not a good movie. This is a bad movie that does everything bad very well. That's actually perfect. That is the perfect summary of what this is. A bad movie that does everything bad very well. Um, it's, it's technically competent. It's performances are very good. It's jokes are almost all well-structured, and sometimes it is genuinely funny. I, and it's also fucking shockingly offensive. I, I, cannot, I, I cannot believe I'm about to say this, but I, I am 100% okay with Postal as a movie. I'll say this much. In terms of nailing a video game license... Yeah. They fucking nailed it. They really they hit did. it out the park. Um, I, clearly, I, you know, Running With Scissors was all on board with this film from the get-go, and, and, and yeah. they, they got, I think, exactly the film they wanted. I, and I guess Postal fans want it. I think this is a situation, uh, in a lot of ways, of a stopped, ro- stopped clock being right twice a day. Yeah. Um, this was a perfect confluence of, uh, pr- of actors who were willing to... Uh, set aside their dignity to do this movie. Yeah, a director and, and, who and has no dignity. All of them pulling, uh, maybe if if not their A game, at least their high B. And they're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I. It is the it is the best bad movie. Like the best quality bad movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up there for me. So what are we doing next time, Jim? Because we got it. We got to stop this. We got to wrap. This. I'm exhausted, yeah. and I've still got so much work to do. Yep. <laughs> um, we're doing Super Mario Brothers. Ho ho! All right, we are not going to spend our... this kind of time on Super Mario Brothers. No, there's no we're... way. Luckily, we're going back to the kinds of movies where there's not so much with Pixels and with this and with Warcraft as well. There was a lot we had to pull yeah. apart. I say we had to. There's a lot we were compelled, felt compelled, unnecessarily to pull apart. <laughs> um, Super Mario Brothers, we're going back to, you know, your Double Dragon, your DOA, your yeah. Camp, your Schlock. You know what you're getting. Almost all of you will have already seen Super Mario Brothers. Um, it's also one that a lot of people want uh, and have been looking forward to, which is why I saved it for Christmas. So our christmas treat will be super mario brothers i'm done yep. podcasting forever if you like uh, well, schlock check out fist shark marketing at fistshark.com you can get more of me and jim there and 
Fuck it. You've not had your I'm fill. I'm done. I'm out of here. Bye!